And so we are back going through the Gospel of John, and we are picking up in halfway through John chapter 12. Uh, how many of you remember being in school? Now, for some of you, that's easier to remember than others. For some of you, I'm not going to say much more than that. It's, it's, it's many, many days ago. But for some of you, you're still in school. But, um, but there's part of being in school, and uh, it's this exercise of um, being picked for something. And uh, sometimes that's not an easy thing of when you're picking things in school. And sometimes you can feel rejected as part of that exercise. And so what I remember going in school, it was at playtime or break time, and we all, certainly me and my friends, we all went out to, to play football together. And this was basically every, every break time and every lunch time. Uh, and now there's two ways that you can pick teams when you want to do that. There's the fair way, and that's the numbering system. And everyone knows that the numbering system is the best system. And so when you do the numbering system, you pick someone, and they go and stand in the corner with their back to everyone else, and then someone else has a responsibility of giving everyone a number, and then the person turns around and basically says, odds here, evens there. So something like that. The not-so-good way of doing it is that there's normally someone in all of their apparent wisdom says, oh, let's have two, two uh, team captains. Let's do that instead. Now, everyone knows what's coming when you do two team captains. Of course, what they are going to do first and foremost is pick the best players. They're going to pick the, the person who has got a cannon of a shot on them or the one who can skin everyone and score a goal. Those are the ones who are going to be picked first. And then after that, they're going to pick their best mate because they want to protect that friendship. And so they feel duty-bound to do that. And then it goes down and down and down. And then you're left with two players. And at that point, everyone is gutted. Everyone feels really awkward. And then just to make it worse, the two team captains, they turn to each other and they negotiate over who doesn't want the person. <laughs> It's a horrible system. Never do that system. People always go with the numbering system. I don't know if that's something that you experienced in school. I, I remember it a little bit. Uh, and so I always went for the numbering system. I thought it was fairer. I thought it was much fairer. It's a hard part of school. Growing up, you, re you receive rejection. And rejection is hard. Rejection is probably something that we have all experienced in this place. And of course, my example of the school playground is not that serious of one. And there are much more serious examples of rejection. And I'm sure we could consider many of those in this place. And we know that rejection is deeply hurtful. Maybe it was growing up in school that you felt rejection from a friendship group. Or maybe you have felt that more recently. Maybe it was rejection from a job that you really wanted. You applied for it. You really wanted it. And you get to the last stage and you didn't get the job. You were rejected. Or maybe you were rejected from a job that you are currently in and you were made redundant. Maybe it's been a relational rejection you've experienced. And the wounds of that rejection go deep and are often long, long-lasting. Rejection is hard, but we're not only on the receiving side of rejection. And sometimes when we think on that, we think on where we have been rejected. But we have to also realize that in us, I'm sure there's times when we have rejected others. 
Today, we're going to look at how many in Israel rejected Jesus. So we'll find in our passage that despite the time that Jesus spent with the people, despite his teaching, despite the miracles, despite having God himself right in front of them, they reject him. So let me pray, and then we'll, we'll dive into this passage. Father, and just as what we, we sung there, may we never lose the wonder, never lose the wonder of Jesus, never lose the wonder of his love, never lose the wonder of the incredible gift of salvation. May we never lose the wonder of your word, and we are so grateful for it. We're grateful that we can read it together. We're grateful by your spirit, you open our eyes to understand what you are saying to us. And so, Father, as we go into this passage now, would you help us? Help us by your spirit. Would you humble our hearts uh, as we look into this? Come and have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so thank you to Sasha for reading it. And it's fair to say right at the start, this is not a straightforward passage. And we shouldn't pretend that it is. So as Sasha was going through it, I wonder what kind of thoughts came to your mind. But in it, in the first kind of section, there appeared to be two opposing views expressed. So on the one side, you've got verse 40, and please do follow along. Um, it says, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, suggesting that the Lord chooses who is saved. Now you go down a few verses to verses 42 and 43, and we have John describing people who decided not to follow Jesus. They reject him because of fear and because of the glory that they desired from man over the glory for God. Verse 42 and 43 appeared to show that it is their choice. They were responsible for their rejection of Jesus. So it appears in these few verses that we've got two opposing views. And we could very easily get lost in a rabbit warren here. And so I want to share a couple of things on this before we look more into this theme of rejection. Firstly, there are some things that this side of heaven that I don't think we will ever fully understand. It is why God is God is why his ways are described as higher than ours. And confusion should not lead us away from God, but these times should encourage us to push more into him, to trust in him more, to look into him more, because he is amply described in here. Secondly, our dear friend Dominic, who passed away a few years ago, he spoke on this and uh, he had a really helpful image. Now, I don't think Dominic came up with it. I thought he maybe did, but apparently Charles Spurgeon did. And so I, <laughs> I want to give credit to both. Here we go. I think there's various um, yeah, illustrations of this. But the first time I heard it was from Dominic. Uh, and so he describes uh, a door. And so you all came in to this room through a doorway. And so it describes, you know, as you go through this door, go into, this, uh, go into life with Christ, above the doorways you go through it, it says, all are welcome. And there are numerous passages of Scripture that back that up. So I'll read a few of them for you. So it's 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. It says, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And 1 John 2, 2, he says, He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And so as we read those verses, we clearly get this sign of all are welcome. So you walk through this door, and as you've passed through the door, you turn around, and above the door is a different inscription, and it says, you were chosen. And again, there are numerous passages that back this up as well, and so let me read a few Um, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 and 5 says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Back into 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And the final passage I'll read here is Acts 2, 37 and 38. And I think in this passage, again, you get, but you get both sides here. It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. As we read these verses, we see the idea of you were chosen. All are welcome, and you were chosen. Both of these statements can be true. I often think when you start talking about things that are a bit more complicated to understand, just start quoting people who are more intelligent than you. And so I'm going to quote from John Piper here. It says, Man's responsibility to believe in Jesus, on the one hand, and God's sovereignty over who believes in Jesus, on the other hand, are both true, whether we can understand it or not. Something is not only true when we understand it. It's true because God has said it. And I think this is one particular example for this, but there are probably many other things of where we struggle to understand things of God. But we have to remember how limited we are in comparison to almighty, all-powerful, all-present, all-powerful, all-knowing God. His ways are higher than ours. He is greater than us. I like the doorway analogy because it doesn't just choose one or the other, but it holds them both together. But there are things that we can understand in this passage. In verse 38, it says, To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And Paul goes on to to speak about this a bit further in Ephesians 1. It says that that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. We recognize that in all of us. 
It might feel like a choice that we are making, but ultimately we recognize that it was the Lord who gave us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. It's him who enlightens our hearts to know the hope. It's him who puts people in our life to help reveal the truth. If he doesn't do that, if God doesn't reveal himself to us, then it's not possible for us to be a part of his family. God is sovereign over all belief and unbelief. So as I consider my own story of faith, I remember being struck a few times. So once around about the age of eight, um, once again about the age of 12 when I was at a camp, actually at a camp in this church, and again about the age of 16, I was struck of the goodness of, of God. And I was led to times of confession, repentance, and acceptance of Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Now, in each of those, it felt like my choice. But I completely realized that God was at work. He was placing the people around me that I needed. People who would explain things to me. People who would challenge me. So people like my parents. People like friends. People like camp counselors used music in a pretty powerful way when I was 16. Different ways that God was at work enlightening my heart to the truth of the gospel, providing me with the understanding that I am a sinner in need of Jesus. At some point today, I want to encourage you all, take a moment and consider what was your journey of faith. And consider what was God doing around you at that time to enlighten your heart? How was he opening your eyes to the wonders of the truth of the gospel? Who was he placing around you? And give thanks for them. Maybe even get in contact with those people and just say, thank you so much for the way that you surrendered your life so that God could work in and through you so that my eyes could be open to the wonders of God. All are welcome. And you were chosen. It's the same door. It's the same gate. And that is only Jesus. Salvation comes through faith in Christ alone and in no other way. Verses 36 to 43 are sad verses. Jesus has come to give life in abundance. But we see that even though they had a chance to know Jesus... They've seen his power at work before their very eyes. Some did not believe. At the start of the gospel account in John, uh, so in John 1, 11, uh, we read, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. So the ministry of Jesus begins with that announcement and now the public ministry of Jesus ends with an explanation in John 12 here. The first passage that John quotes is from Isaiah 53. And so I'll read the first three verses of Isaiah 53. It says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Spoke there of rejection. 
And the second passage that John quotes in verse 40, that's from Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 10. And that passage centers around Isaiah's vision of God. And in it, we have a wonderful picture of the Lord sitting on the throne. And so I'll read now from Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 5. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. For many in Israel, Jesus was not what they wanted. Isaiah 6 describes this awesome picture of God on the throne, full of splendor and power. In that passage, we're reminded of his holiness his glory, that he is the king and that he is the Lord. But they were blind to this reality. This man that came along did not meet many of the people's expectations of Messiah. Their Messiah would ride in on a horse, not on a donkey. He'd lead the nation to defeat the Romans He'd abide by all of their rules. He would be the Pharisee of all Pharisees. In Jesus, they didn't see what they wanted. What they saw was unattractive. No beauty was there for them, it says in Isaiah. And so they despised him and they rejected him. Sure, the Jesus you long for and worship is the one that is described in the scriptures. Do not make him into something that you want him to be, someone that would fit with your agenda, someone that would fit with your desires. That is not worshiping Jesus. That is making yourself God. And that is wanting him and others to serve you. Jesus is perfect in every way. We are not. Receive him for who he is. The other reason why they rejected him is found in verses 41 to 43. So let me read those again. Isaiah Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that came from man more than the glory that comes from God. They refused to confess their belief in Jesus as their God. Fear and the glory of man stopped them confessing Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Public confession is such an important part of living out our faith. Jesus says in Matthew 10, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. 
And the Apostle Paul says something similar in Romans 10, where he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confession is important. A public living out of faith is essential. Your faith in Jesus is not something that should be possible to hide. I came across a quote a couple of weeks back that I think is quite profound. So I'll probably read it twice. It says, Secret discipleship is a contradiction in terms, for either the secrecy kills the discipleship or the discipleship kills the secrecy. Secret discipleship is a contradiction in terms, for either the secrecy kills the discipleship or the discipleship kills the secrecy. Now, I understand that for many people around the world, that they live in places where it is dangerous to be a Christian. It's really difficult. And so for some around the world, they cannot do what we are doing right now. When they are meeting together, often they're meeting underground. Often it's in darkness. Instead of singing at the top of the lungs like we are able to do, they whisper songs together. But the reality is that we live in Aberdeen or just outside of Aberdeen. It is different for us. Secrecy and discipleship don't go together here. I had a coffee actually with Tim Hayward, who works for Open Doors this past week. And he was telling me miraculous stories of how Christians, even in the hardest place, places it is to be Christians, of how they are bold with their faith of how they are really inventive and creative with the ways that they can share Jesus, of how they confess of Jesus. Even in places where it's difficult, we see places where people are confessing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's because secrecy and discipleship don't go together. I love baptisms. I love it when that tank is full and when it's warm, sorry again, Sasha. Sasha had like the coldest baptism on the planet about a year ago. I thought it was bad. <laughs> but I love it when that tank is full. We have um, folks in there. But the part that I really love about baptisms is when someone stands here and they share their testimony and they confess of who Christ is. There is something incredible about it. And it has been my absolute privilege and honor to see so many of our youth come up and stand here and to do that. And I'll, I'll be honest, when they get up here, I kind of struggle emotionally a little bit. Because it is incredible to see young people who are going through incredible difficulties of persecution in, in, in schools. To get them to stand up here and they say, Jesus is my King, my Lord, my Savior, and I am living for Him. And it's amazing to see some of them invite their friends along so that they can hear that as well. It is absolutely incredible. It's testimonies of repentance, testimonies of confession. It is absolutely wonderful. And just as a quick aside, uh, if you've not been baptized yet and you would like to be, we will fill that tank next week. We do not need to wait long for these things. We don't just do this one Sunday a year or two Sundays a year. We will fill it every Sunday. We would love to fill it every Sunday. We would love to celebrate together as people stand here and they confess of Jesus. If that's you, please do come and speak with me afterwards. Now John goes on to share why they didn't confess. It says, fear and the glory of man. 
It says they didn't want to be put out of the synagogue. So there's something in that line there about status and reputation that they were looking to protect there. There was something about wanting to be accepted in society. And there's something of fear of rejection of society. Not wanting to be put outside. I think the modern way of speaking about this is FOMO. Fear of missing out. And how many times do we make decisions because we're fearful of missing out? Or we make decisions for others because we're fearful that they may miss out. They feared the Pharisees. They had these people placed on a pedestal in their lives. Their views and opinion of them, simply being with them, being with these Pharisees, was what they wanted most in this world. You find that fear stops confession. Fear leads to idolatry. But trust in Jesus stops fear. Trust in Jesus leads to abundant life. So what stops our confession of faith in Jesus? Now, it might be that nothing does. But sometimes I think we know that when Christianity comes up in conversation, it's often light off what elements of society disagrees with us on. Christianity often comes up when we're talking about controversial things. It's things like sanctity of life or gender and sexuality. When faith comes up in the workplace, it's often centered around one of those things, and so we instantly feel like we're on the back foot. We feel that we're defensive, and maybe inside of us we're desperately hoping that they just don't ask us for our opinion. So some of you know I used to work for uh, an investment firm called Aberdeen Asset Management. They're now called Aberdeen. For some reason, they've got a vendetta against the letter E. I'm not too sure why, but hey. And so I worked as an analyst then for, for about eight years or so. And I remember when these conversations came up. And I remember that my heart used to start beating a bit quicker. And I'm just like, oh, man, what, what do I do now? Do I, do I share what I believe or do I go and make a cup of tea or something like that? And sometimes I'll say I went and made a cup of tea because I didn't know what to say, I didn't know what to do. But there were times when I was just like, no, I think I'm going to say something in here. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy at all. But I absolutely believe in those times that Jesus was worshipped because I confessed of him. These conversations are not easy. We can be gripped with fear when they arise. Friends, we need to speak about our faith at all times. If we only speak of our faith when controversial conversations come up, I don't think it's going to cut it. Don't be on the back foot, but share the good news of Jesus at all times. Now, if we are confident that this is the good news, and that this is the good news for the world, then we're going to want to confess it. But if we in our heart of hearts just think it's okay news that works for us a bit, then we're not going to share it. The question is, do you believe that this is the good news? And do you believe that this is for all of mankind and that I need it desperately and that they need Jesus desperately? If we believe that it is good, if we believe it's true, if we believe it's vital, if we believe that Jesus is life-giving, then we'll share it. Now, I get that it's difficult. I really do, and I've, I've shared that my, my struggles with it as well. 
Uh, and so one thing that myself and the outreach team have been looking at is uh, working with a couple of organizations. And so there's one called Solas, and there's one called Passion for Life. And a lot of what they do is about equipping Christians for difficult conversations. Equipping Christians that wherever you might find yourself, if that's at a school gate, if that's in the workplace, if that's in a coffee shop, wherever you might find yourself, if it's in school, college, uni, wherever, it's trying to equip us to have these conversations so that we can confess of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And in the coming weeks and months, we'll be sharing um, some details about some courses that we think are possible for us to run and some conferences as well. In the final few verses of this chapter, I'm coming into land a bit, we have the final public words of Jesus' ministry. So we're into Jesus' last week before his crucifixion, and everything that is said in chapters 13 to 17 are said to the disciples only. So when we're, I think we're here next week, uh, so in chapter 13, um, we find Jesus and the disciples in the upper room together. But I think there's something really significant about final words. And so I think it's important that we look at these final words of Jesus. And so let me read them again for us. So this is from verse 44 to the end of the chapter. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I've come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So what is Jesus saying in those verses? And so let me just list them out. And I've kind of changed the order a bit. So, um, so he's saying, if you believe in Jesus, if you believe in me, you believe in God. If you see Jesus, you see the Father. He's saying the Father has sent him. Jesus speaks as the Father has told him, and the Father's commands lead to eternal life. In verse 47, he's saying, Jesus, that he came to rescue the world. And if you believe in Jesus, you no longer walk in darkness, but you walk in the light. Those who reject Jesus are willfully choosing rejection. And the words of Jesus make it clear what happens to those who believe and to those who who reject him. This is the passage that, and the words that Jesus chose to summarize everything that he'd been teaching. And the question that we come back to time and time again in the Gospel of John is, do you believe? That's what Jesus is asking here. Do you believe in me? Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Do you believe that he is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the God who's created the heavens and the earth? Do you believe that this is the God who created each and every single one of us in this place? Do you believe that Jesus was sent to this world to die for our sins? Do you believe that you are someone that is in need of rescue? Do you believe that you need someone to take the punishment for all the wrong that we have done? 
Do you see the sinfulness in your life? Do you see that you need rescued? Do you believe that as he died on the cross and he rose again three days later, that he defeated the power of sin and death? Do you believe that he loves you personally? Do you believe that he knows absolutely everything there is to know about you? Do you believe he knows you better than you know yourself? Do you believe that to reject Jesus is to choose to walk in darkness? Do you believe to accept Christ means to walk in the light, to walk in hope? Do you believe it means eternal life with God forevermore? Do you believe? And my question here isn't, do you absolutely understand everything there is to know about Jesus? Don't feel like you need to know absolutely everything about him. That is not a prerequisite for faith. It's not a prerequisite for salvation. We're called to believe in who he is. And over time, we grow in our knowledge and our wisdom. Do you believe? We don't do this too often here. And so I want to give an opportunity this morning. But if you believe, but you've never actually taken that step to put your faith in Jesus, why not do it today? All are welcome. You are welcome. Now, following Jesus is not always easy. In fact, we're told in numerous places in Scripture that it can, to expect hardship, but I will say that it is absolutely worth it. It's a life of solid, unmovable foundations in Christ. It's a life of trust, of confident hope. It's a life of joy in him, of endurance, of love. It's a life of comfort, knowing that he is always with us. It's a life of peace, knowing that he has us safely in his hands. It's a life that you know can only get better when we graduate into his perfect presence and we'll be with him, worshiping him at his feet forevermore. If you'd like to take that step of following Jesus, the way that we normally do that is through a bit of a simple prayer. So if I can ask you just to all bow your heads, please, and close your eyes. And if you'd like to take a step of following Jesus, maybe it's for the first time, or maybe it's a recommitment. I spoke earlier on of my story of, I remember something at the age of 8, 12, and 16 And there was different moments there of where I felt I had a new revelation. So sometimes we get to these places where we feel it's important to recommit our lives to God. So either for the first time for our recommitment, if you want to just in your heart repeat these words after me. I believe in Jesus and in his words. I know I am a sinner. I know I need forgiveness that only comes from Jesus. I ask for your forgiveness. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I surrender my life to you, Jesus. Jesus, you are my Savior. Jesus, you are my Lord. I want to live my life for you. 
Would you help me to do that by your Holy Spirit? You are welcome in my life. Amen. Amen. Now, if you've said those words, maybe for the first time, you've started a really exciting journey of faith. Now, I could make this really easy for you, and I could say, like, if you said that prayer for the first time, come and see me at the car, in the car park. I'll be hiding around the sides, and you can come and find me, and we can have a, a wee prayer time together, and yeah, we'll figure stuff out from there. But I, I, can't, I can't say that after saying how important confession in Jesus is. There's something really important in that confession, that public confession in Jesus. And so why not just start with the way that you want to live your life from now? And so I'm going to ask you to do something really brief. It might be that no one has said this in this room, but I think it's really important that we give that opportunity. But if you did say that prayer for the first time, I'm going to ask you to do something really brave. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to come stand here. (laughs) But I'm just going to ask you just to raise your hand. And so if you said that prayer for the first time or as a recommitment, can you raise your hand as part of your worship to Jesus? Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You are good all the time. I thank you that you came to give life and to give life to the full. We thank you that you, by your grace and your goodness, You open our eyes to see the wonder of Christ, to see how much we need Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to this world. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for showing us the way and for being the way to have relationship with God, our Father, forevermore. We thank you for new life that you give to us. It's new life as a child of God new life as an adopted son and daughter. And have you welcome us into your family. You welcome us into your warm embrace and you are with us forevermore. Thank you, Jesus. My Father, we realize that in our hearts there are times when we do not confess of you. Sometimes we are gripped by fear. Sometimes it is the glory of man that we long for more than the glory of God. And so, Father, we come before you now with repentant hearts saying sorry for the times when we have been quiet, sometimes when we have not done the right thing because of fear. But we thank you that you're quick to forgive. And so would you help us, God? Would you help us to be bold in our faith? Let us not hide our light, but we would let it shine for the world to see because they need to see it. Would you help us, God? Let us live for your glory, God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.